Howdy, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the History of Religion podcast. I am J.A. Graham, and this is episode 37 of the History of Christianity series. This episode is titled Papal Sin. Last time, we looked at how Carolingian Christianity changed the religion in the West and set it on a course of conflict with the East. Today, we will pick up and look at some developments from Carolingian Christianity. Something that Charlemagne brought to the West that had disappeared since the Romans was the idea of divinely appointed kingship. The East had the Byzantine emperor who controlled the church, but in the West, there had not been any one person to challenge the religious authority. Thus, the Pope had the de facto monopoly in the area. However, once Charlemagne was crowned by Pope Leo, there became a force to fight with. For now on in the West, the idea of kings having divine authority could allow them to challenge religious dogma in the church against the Pope's wishes. This struggle between the Pope and the kings would last a long time, as the combination of church and state did. Another issue that rose after the fall of the Roman Empire, but was addressed during the Carolingian era, was the education of the clergy. Since the fall of Rome, and then the cutoff of Greek literature by the Byzantines and Muslims, the West went into intellectual echo chambers of Latin scholarship. The result was that many clergy were not very well educated. The result of a less educated clergy was that there were less sermons preached. In place of sermons, the Western Church focused on liturgy and sacraments. Liturgy is the form in which the worship ceremony is conducted. Up until the Carolingian Renaissance, there were two forms of liturgy that were prominent in the West. The Roman and the Gallican were French versions. Charlemagne chose to make everyone follow the Roman liturgy, and that set the Catholic Church on a path for the next thousand years. Part of this shift was how communion was celebrated. The laity had slowly been less involved in the church ever since the Roman Empire had taken over and created hierarchical positions for the clergy. A consequence of this was that the laity did not take part in communion as much as they once did. By the 9th century, the priests took communion every Sunday, but the laity normally only at Easter. So you can imagine a bunch of hungry peasants watching a fat priest eat bread and drink wine while speaking Latin every Sunday. The church had come a long way since Christ. Part of this was because the idea of communion was changing. As was pointed out in the last episode, many pagan converts believed heavily in the idea that the bread literally changed into the body and the wine literally became blood, so they were afraid to take part in it. The clergy also spoke about how only serious Christians should even take part in communion. Thus, the practice of communion slowly became something primarily for the priests. Paganism was meshing strongly with Christianity. Writings by an important thinker named Agabard of Lyons, who lived until 840, spoke about some of the common beliefs at the time. It was common to believe that evil spirits controlled the rain and the wind rather than God. Magic was very real and could change the weather. Even more interesting, there was a belief that there were ships in the sky and pirates who were on them. Those pirates would then take crops that were damaged by hail and storms back to their homeland in the sky of Magonia, which is a mythical realm. And the only modern people who are even concerned with this sort of old pagan mythology are modern UFO enthusiasts who use it to show how ancient aliens existed. So conspiracy theories have been favored by evolution somehow. Now, when I said that they did not preach as much, there is a clarification. They preached, but it increasingly was less they who wrote the sermons, and others wrote them for them. And this is when the homily became prominent in the West. Homilies were sermons written by other clergy that were then used on Sundays. So there were some serious challenges ahead of the Christian movement in the West. A reformer who rose up was a fellow named Benedict of Anian, who lived from 750 to 821. He served as a soldier under Charlemagne, but after a near-death drowning, he became a monk in 775. He entered a Benedictine monastery and was pretty upset about how most of the monks were just there to get a free ride. 
779, he created a new monastery in Anyane, which is in southern France. He was put in charge of the monastic reforms of Charlemagne's son, Louis the Pious. However, once Benedict died and the empire fell apart, his reforms would be put on hold until a few hundred years. After Charlemagne's death, Louis the Pious ruled, and he decided to split the kingdom up into three sections for his three sons. The short story is that this did not work out well. So the empire fell apart, and the kings became even less powerful, even though they still held on to the divine right idea. The result was that the popes gained an influence as they now were tied to the kingdoms, but were not subject to them as they were under Charlemagne. From 840 to 911, the kingdoms of Western Europe disintegrated into a feudal system where the pope became ever more powerful. We discussed how the papacy was basically a shit show last episode, but from 858 to about 872, there were two decent popes who gained power for the papacy. The pope after them, John VIII, was the guy who was poisoned and then had his head smashed in at the end of the 800s. The Cadavered Synod was in 897, and this leads into the 10th century, which the first half is called the Saculum Obscurum, the Dark Ages of the Papacy. The main characteristics of these popes were that they liked women and they loved to be violent. At the first of the century, Theophilate I created an armed insurrection to take the city of Rome. He then controlled who became the pope until 924. The first pope in the rule actually had two of his competitors for pope strangled in prison. Then that pope began sleeping with Theophilic's daughter. Their son would become pope in 931. But the worst pope came to power in 955 at the age of 18, the youngest in papal history. His name was Pope John Twelfth, and he ruled 27 years as an absolute hedonist. Historians call his rule the papal pornocracy, the rule of prostitutes. It is worth stopping for a second and just walking through the things that he was accused of, since we believe in innocent until proven sinful here on the History of Religion podcast. This pope came into power by his half-brother, Alberic, who was the son of Marisia, the daughter of Theophilact, who had an affair with the pope. Their child became the pope in 931. She then married her relative named Hugh, who was the king of Italy. Together they chose who became pope. But Mariosia neglected one of her sons, Alberic, and Hugh actually punched him at a party. So in 932, Alberic worked up a mob and took power from his mom and stepfather. He put his mom in prison, never to be heard of again, and Hugh escaped to live on an attempt many times to retake power, but he never actually succeeded. Alberic then deposed the Pope and put his own popes in charge, eventually totaling four popes. Alberic ruled for 20 years and made the popes his puppet. He mutilated one for not following instruction in 937. Alberic had a son with a mistress as well. In 954, Alberic became ill and was carried to the tomb of St. Peter. He made the leaders of Rome assemble and promised that they would make his son the next pope after Agapetus died, the current pope that he had appointed. He forced the assembly to swear over the bones of St. Peter. The cardinals choosing a pope had not yet developed as a way to choose the pope, even in the city of Rome. So the way that they normally did it were the leaders of Rome gathered, and then they decided who would become pope. And so if you ruled Rome, you ruled who became the pope. Alberic died, and the next year Agapatus died, leaving the papacy to an 18-year-old son of Alberic in the sixth, on the 16th of December in 955. He was named Pope John Twelfth, and his first work was to turn the Lateran Palace, where the popes resided, into an absolute whorehouse, as historians use the technical term there. He slept with his father's concubines, impregnated one, had innumerable women in the palace, made one of his lovers the governor of, the pap of a papal city, and gave her church treasures, 
which bankrupted part of the treasury. He was reported to have kidnapped female pilgrims that were on their way to the sacred city in order to sleep with them, and he also loved to gamble. It was known to invoke the gods of Jupiter and Venus to his side to help, along with other demons, so that he could win some gambling games. So they obviously didn't help very much because eventually he ran the entire papal state bankrupt. The papal states were the land areas that the Pope had control over technically. However, the areas of northern Italy were too mountainous for popes to actually exercise real control over them, but they were a great source of wealth. Theophylact and his descendants, Alberic, had basically taken control of the states, and that is why they were able to put popes into power. So Pope John XII ruled as a pope and as a small feudal king over the papal states, neither of which he was very good at. With, mon with no money and rivals seeking to control these states creeping in from the north, Pope John needed help. He looked to Otto of Saxony in 960 as northern papal states were being invaded. Otto was the king of the Germans and a serious Christian. His goal was to recreate the Carolingian Empire. John was swift and told Otto that if he came and retook the papal states while protecting him, John would give Otto the crown of Charlemagne. In 962, Otto was crowned the king of the Holy Roman Empire in exchange for protecting the papal states, which went from Naples to Venice. This ad hoc maneuver by John would actually last 850 years until Napoleon destroyed the Holy Roman Empire in 1805. Otto was a man of faith, and he saw what John did at the palace, but he noted that he was only a boy, 24 at this point, and that in time he would grow out of it. Otto then went to the north to take the Papal States, which he did very easily. While gone, John kept living as he always had, but he became worried that Otto was gaining way too much power. So Pope John began to strike a deal with the Byzantine emperor to go against Otto, who he had hired to go against the people who were taking over his papal states. John even tried to strike a deal with the king who he had asked Otto to go and fight against in the papal states. Otto had had enough of John and headed back to Rome with an army. John fled with the emperor of Byzantium and women and riches. When Otto arrived, he set up a synod in order to address Pope John XII. The crimes of John were then laid out in 963 as, end quote, Then, rising up, the cardinal priest Peter testified that he himself had seen John XII celebrate Mass without taking communion. John, Bishop of Narni, and John, a cardinal deacon, professed that they themselves saw that a deacon had been ordained in a horse stable, but were unsure of the time. Benedict, cardinal deacon, with other co-deacons and priests, said that they had been paid for ordaining bishops, specifically that they had ordained a ten-year-old bishop in the city of Todi. They testified about his adultery, which they did not see with their own eyes, but nonetheless knew with certainty. He had fornicated with a widow of Rainier, with Stephania, his father's concubine, with the widow Anna, and with his own niece, and he made the sacred palace into a whorehouse. They said that he had gone hunting publicly, that he had blinded his confessor Benedict, and thereafter Benedict had died, that he had killed John, cardinal subdeacon, after castrating him, and then he had set fires, girded on a sword, and put on a helmet and cuirass. All clerics, as well as laymen, declared that he had toasted to the devil with wine, they said when playing at dice he invoked Jupiter, Venus, and other demons. They said that he had not celebrated matins on the canonical hours, nor did he make a sign of the cross. End quote. Otto asked John to come back and face the synod, but John refused. He was actually hunting at the time, and was a little bit too busy. The bishops of Rome were the ones who disliked John. They even mentioned how terrible his grammar was, but the bishops by themselves did not have the authority to elect a pope. Yet, in 963, they excommunicated John and elected Leo VIII as the new pope, 
the population of Rome did not like this, actually, and Otto's army had to kill quite a bit of people and to put down the protests. In 964, Otto left Rome, and John almost immediately returned. John went after the bishops. He cut some of their tongues out, cut off hands, fingers, and some noses were taken off. He set up his own synod in February to overturn everything Otto had done. Once he had retaken power, John enjoyed it for about two to three months before he died in the May of 964. His death is debated. He either had a stroke during sex with a married woman, or he had internal bleeding when he was caught having sex with a married woman and then the husband beat him. Either way, his papacy ended with a bang. So the Western Church needed some serious reforming. One reform came in the monasteries. In 909, a duke in France founded a monastery. This was commonplace at the time for rich folks to fund monasteries or, or build a church. Just as today, there are nonprofit charities and rich people buying plaques on trees for starving kids in Africa. The duke needed someone to run a monastery, and he called on a guy named Bernot. He had already made his, a name for himself as a monk who was strict in following the rule of Benedict and was trying to reform monasticism. The location chosen for the new monastery was William's favorite hunting land, Cluny. They devised a way to protect it from the lords and from the papacy. They deeded the land over to the saints of Peter and Paul. This meant that none of the lords or kings could touch it. Also, the deed had a clause that forbade the pope from interfering or taking the land, so it belonged to Peter and Paul, technically. Bernot then took over and began his work until his death in 926. The monastery was then ran for about a hundred years by nothing short of geniuses. They focused on prayer and reading scripture, which was the basic rule. Yet, they decided they needed to expand and reform other monasteries, so they began to find old dysfunctional monasteries and then going after them and reforming them, creating a movement of reform that would have its peak in the 11th century. But we are not at that time period yet, so we will stop here at the end of the 9th century and pick back up in the next episode as we look at other trends and turn to the eastern side of Christianity. I hope to see you then, here on the History of Religion podcast.